0: I am Planta on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia, at thecommentary.ca. We uh, continue marking uh, National Poetry Month on the program with a conversation with the poet Chris Banks. He recently published a collection called Deep Fake Serenade. It is his sixth poetry collection that is lauded for its precise language and imagery that is fresh and revelatory. I asked Mr. Banks about writing and the themes in this collection, among them the inevitable, loss, masculinity, and books, There's uh, more that we uh, talk about in this conversation uh, we taped a couple of weeks ago. Chris Banks is the author of five other poetry collections, including Midlife Action Figure and Bonfires, which was awarded the Jack Chalmers Award for Poetry by the Canadian Authors Association in 2004. It was also a finalist for the Gerald uh, Lampert Memorial Award for Best First Book of Poetry in Canada. This book is published by Nightwood Editions. He joined me from Kitchener, Ontario. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online Program, Chris Banks, Mr. Banks. Good morning.
1: Hi. How are you?
0: Pretty good, yourself.
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you. So,
0: as I was telling you just before we started, I enjoyed the collection a lot. I don't know where to start. Um, well, let's start with in terms of how you write. Do you write quickly?
1: I do write very quickly. Uh, I used to write uh, very slowly over in my first three books. You know, I would think of uh, a concept, an idea, and I would mull it over, and I would slowly build the stanzas. But now that I'm older, I'm I'm less interested in that kind of writing. I write much more improvisationally and uh, more um, aphoristically, and I like to to get a lot more surprise and wordplay into my poems.
0: Do you have a schedule as to, to when and where you write, say?
1: Um, it depends. I'm not writing a lot right now, but I have another manuscript uh, completed, so I don't really need to. But when I am in the writing mode, uh, I do write on weekends, like Saturday morning. I'll get up around you know six thirty, make coffee, and be down uh, to writing. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll uh, just sort of sit at the table and wait for uh, a poem to hit, or an idea, or even a title uh-huh. might come to me. And then I'll work up a poem over, you know, two or three or four hours.
0: What is it like um, when when inspiration hits? I mean, it, it, does that happen at, say, an inopportune time?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it can. You know, like when I'm supposed to be marking uh, student papers, I work <laughs> as a high school teacher. And yeah. so I might should be doing that. But if I've got a good idea for a poem, I might be working on a poem at school. Who knows, right? But it's it's electric when you feel that sort of uh, inspiration hit. You know, you just have to follow where the poem wants to go.
0: Some of the the more fascinating poems in Deep uh, Fake Serenade are yeah. these these um, I was going to say stream of consciousness thoughts that, that come through. Sure. But I don't I, I don't know if that's that's accurate. But it, a million things happen in the poem. Uh, references right. to things that that you've experienced, references to, to things that you've read or watched or heard. Yeah. Um, and it's just d- delightful to, to get into, essentially, that space in your head at that moment. Um, <laughs> that's nice to hear. What um, What is it like, then, to, to, to get everything out? I mean, I, one would think, as it, if it's fast-paced as I read it, yes. um, that th- these things are all going on in your head at once, and, and they're just fighting to get out. Is that an accurate sort of...
1: I think that's an ac- accurate read, right? You know, like, for me... Um, I sort of take what Richard Hugo once said, which is everything belongs in a poem, right? Mm -hmm. I want to get everything into my poem, so I'm trying to create the illusion where that's that's possible, right? You know, everything in the kitchen sink, as it were, uh, belongs in my poem. So I'll be writing about, you know, self-serve checkout at the grocery store, but then I'll jump around to, you know, Keith's and... Uh, His letters, and then I'll jump from there about, uh, you know, a neighbor who's walking backwards, um, you know, doing a morning meditation, and I'll try to all fit it together in some way. And uh, I think that's fun for me, too, you know, you basically uh, paint yourself into a corner and try to figure a way out, right, in a poem, and that's always the most fun for me.
0: So I was reading your book over the last month or so, and and I, I hit sure. one of those milestone birthdays, and I, I couldn't help but read mm-hmm. some of myself. We're, we're about the same age. You're, you're just right. uh, I'm a little younger than you are. Um, I couldn't help but um, feel or read some of the things I was feeling at the time, and and you know, uh, uh, sort of dealing with the inevitable, if you will. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, lives are lived, I guess, resisting sort of the the end. Um, or at right. least prolonging it, if you will. But 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 that's something yeah. that you contend in a number of poems in this book. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's that's true. You know, I'm starting to see. You know, I'm what going to be fifty two this year, and so, you know, the last thirty years seem to have really flown by. So I can only imagine the next thirty years yeah. will will flow by. And I've seen, you know, young men grow old before me. Right. I, I remember my father being a very very young man. Much younger man than I am now and now he's 77 and you know wears hearing aids and you know the polarized glasses and I see him sunglasses and I'm seeing him become an old man so I I see what's in store for me uh, uh so yeah so that kind of attitude you know anxiety uh about aging that certainly entered into the book and that's the through line in the book I think but I think there's also an optimism there and a joy in just being in the present moment, even with that uh, inevitability, as you said, uh, you know, weighing in the background.
0: So there's a poem in the book called Reverse, which yeah. um, I, I enjoy is not the right word, but it's it's a, a poem that I have um, thought about a lot as I was reading the book and reread a couple of times um, in that, in that, piece you you articulate loss and then what i found fascinating is is that moment just before and then there's so much possibility in that in that um how things might have turned out if they didn't go the way they did um yeah i I, I don't know i i guess i i I read poems to to find some idea of how to get through life or or even tips and stuff you know um yours may not have, have done that for me but what it did was um it made me look at sort of fate and it made me look at chance and in a way it it, it um it, it gave something for me to consider you know as one deals with with regret and mm-hmm. and and loss if you will i mean it, yeah we, there is there is a moment there where um we're able to say move on a little bit better than we did that's right or we could have if you will yeah. Um, so that's what I was thinking as I was reading your poem, uh, reverse. What, 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 what was going through your mind as you were writing it?
1: Uh, well, I was just trying to think about, you know, like if you could live your life over again in reverse, what that, what that would look like, you know? And I, I make, uh, I think an image in that poem of, of the past being a bully, waiting up the path, taking off his ring, saying, this is going to hurt, you know, um, and so maybe it's better to to live our lives without knowing how things are going to to work out in the, in the future, right? But the past is a really interesting thing to play with in a in a poem, right? I, I think a lot of poets are very concerned with time uh, and manipulate time in their poetry. I certainly do that in a number of poems in deep fake serenade where I kind of time travel a little bit or get caught in time. Uh, And that's the real joy of a poem is that you can experience uh, the past again if only in the moment of the poem. Um, You know, I'm thinking about a poem where I wrote about, you know, being at uh, a Violent Thames concert in Toronto uh, or listening to The Replacement. There's all sorts of nostalgic bits for people my age uh, in the book. Uh, so, yeah, you know, um, I think ultimately there, I, I think I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm thinking, you know, as much as there are moments in my past I would love to to touch upon, I don't really want to live those moments over again in, in, in any real way. You know, I like to write about my 20s and it being Montreal and, and bands I've seen and things like that, but ultimately I'm pretty happy with uh with where I am
0: now. And it's not like we can change these things. It's not like we can have a no. time machine where we can go back or reload. Right. You know what I mean? And, but it, it's exactly. still fun to think about or not, not even it fun. fun. But,
1: yeah.
0: But yeah. sometimes it can, it can be uh, um, annoying, especially if, you, if there's something that you regret and that you, you hate sure. about yourself and the sort. Um, yeah. This goes into another poem called male ego, which um, right. I, I think is a great poem. Um, oh, thank you. But I, I, I really don't know, Chris, if um, the speaker, um, if the realization that the speaker gets to in that poem, is something that mm. those of us who are male, who have egos, might yeah. recognize.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I know. That's an interesting poem. Uh, I, I wanted to address it. You know, I think I wrote that poem at a point where, you know, uh, I think it was right during the Me Too movement Uh and I thought was like, you know, like how am I going to sort of process and and I think a part of it was just sort of sit and and watch what is happening uh, in the world and and let women speak Uh, and it's not my place to really write about that. So what could I write about? I could could write about the male ego and and I wrote it with sort of a little tongue in cheek, but I think ultimately it's it's a good lesson too that you know there's a, a lot of toxic masculinity out of out out of uh, out there, and yeah. I think I grew up with a, a little bit of that, uh, and so you know I wrote that poem.
0: Yeah, it's just I guess the people that need to read it or need to realize what what um, that's right the speaker realizes aren't yeah. <laughs> the ones who are going to get it, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: It's true. <laughs> Does that mean, then, Chris, that, that uh, poetry is afforded, you say, a language to talk about things that you wouldn't otherwise talk about?
1: I think that's really uh, a wise thing to say. I think absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I've been reading poems since I was 16. And I'm almost, like I said, 52 now. So I would say that I've learned just as much um, through reading and writing poetry um, about the world as I have through, you know, certainly the three degrees that I got in school. Um, You know, it's my language. I like how you said that, uh, you know, with which I, it's sort of the lens with which I view the world, right? uh, If I'm feeling down or if I, like I said, uh, you know, if I have regrets about something and I read a poem by someone else, you know, their experience and my experience sort of connect. At, in the moment that it's the poem and so I feel a little bit better about uh, myself or about the world um, or it just helps me to manage you know the day-to-day anxieties we all feel in, in the sort of uh, the world that we're experiencing right now which is very unpredictable right so and yeah. so
0: so the, you, you I, I asked that question uh, c- considering sure. your work as a writer now as a reader yeah um, that has afforded you, are yielded you, I guess, much wisdom, much solace over the years, hasn't it?
1: Absolutely. You know, I used to have about 500 books of poetry in my in my house, and then I moved in with my partner, oh, two and a half years ago. So I had a downsize. So I I have only about half of that number of books now. But yeah, poetry's been with me, it's been very, very important to me since my early 20s, for sure.
0: There's another thread throughout the book that I, that I enjoyed um, is is when you mention uh, books and and you've just talked about your poetry books that you've had to call yeah. over the years um, it, you, you you romanticize books in 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 this collection uh, a number mm-hmm. of times they take on new meaning a life of their own if you will i mean um, I love how you describe the fall, for example, is, is remaindered and, and un- yes. underappreciated like books are during that yes. season. Uh, yes. Another one, another. I can't remember which poem this is from, but you see you, you crack the spine of a book and all the secrets spill out. Yes. What, uh, were books always important or a big part of your life growing up, say?
1: Well, I think so. You know, I'm a teacher, so I, I see a lot of students wear books haven't really been a part of their life. And then, I, you know, as I got older, I began to really see how my mom had taken me to libraries Mm -hmm. and bookmobiles and, you know, got me the little scholastic uh, book deals that the schools would put out, you know, and give me money for book fairs. And, And I think, yeah, I didn't realize until I was about 16 that, you know, reading and writing was something that I was very good at. And then I really began to try hard because up to that point I hadn't really tried hard in school at all. I was a very mediocre student. And so, yeah, I would say that books have always been very important in my life and became even more important as I hit my 20s and 30s and 40s.
0: Yeah, and they're just a a wonderful thing to have. I mean, I'm sitting in my office here where I have, you know, at least a thousand and a half books. Um, Yes. But I, you know, I went to the library this weekend. I, I can't help but want to know um, what it is I need to know
1: Yeah.
0: by reading. And, um, and things that I didn't, you know, think I needed to know even. You know, like when I read a, book, a collection of poetry like yours, um, it takes us somewhere. And, and only a book can do that. I mean, there's certainly music and movies can do that at some point. Um, but there's, there's nothing like a book, is there?
1: No, not at all. Especially, especially a very good poetry book. I love discovering a new poet I was not aware of before, or hearing a new voice that I, you know is using language in some new way. It's just exciting and electric for me.
0: So you've pr- uh, published uh, collections in the past with other houses. How, how did I the, have. How, how did this collection come to be published by uh, Nightwood Editions out here in BC?
1: Right. Well, I, my first two collections were were with Nightwood edition oh were there okay. you know they were and uh, they, they've always been very uh, an important um, publishing house for me uh, Silas white is a, a dear friend and uh, a strong editor who very early on said you know I sent him a book and he said you know we think you're a talented writer but we're not doing the book that you sent us but I will do a book with you when you're ready and mm-hmm. uh, that was very very um, important to me, you know, developmentally, and of course, you know, he took a he took a chance on a young writer who didn't have a real book that was, you know, publishable at the time, and he really extended, uh, you know, a hand and said, look, we'll do a book with you, and I'll, I'm willing to work with you, and he didn't have to do that, so I've always been very, uh, you know, faithful to Knightwood, to so I, I did three books, with ECW here in uh, Toronto mm-hmm. in Ontario, and uh, it just felt right to uh, uh, see about doing another book with Silas and in the gang at Nightwood Editions.
0: And um, I asked I, I, I conceived of that question because there's a poem yep. in the book where you refer to Candlet, and um, mm-hmm. you know you're from uh, Kitchener. You're, you're speaking to yeah, me from Kitchener, Kitchener, so yeah. essentially yeah. Central Canada and right. um, a lot of us on the west coast have a chip on our shoulder about this country and, sure, yeah. and um, you know that's reflected obviously in, in, in the books that we read and, and, and what, what's published mm-hmm. in this country um, yeah. uh, speaking from where you are and, and, and um, uh, what observations have you got about the, the, the literature in this country, the poetry especially
1: <laughs> that's a loaded question Um I don't know, you know, like I I, I remember being, a, you know, one of these uh, sort of angry young men in my thirties who really wanted to win a Governor General General's Award or a Griffin Award uh-huh. and really, uh, you know, pave my way uh, in the Canadian poetry. And I felt like I had something to prove. I have a lot less of that now. I don't get really worked up about people who win awards. Uh, you know, awards are rarely about the books that are um, that are. Uh, you know, it's rarely about the writers who win them. It's more about you know the people who are who want to give out awards, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's about their taste. It's, so I, I don't try to um, you know second guess what what. You know what books are going to be uh, up for what awards. I'm certainly, if it comes my way again, you know that would be terrific. I won an award for my first book, a national award for my first book, the Jack Chalmers CAA Poetry Award, and that was that was a delight. And I was up for another first book award, which I didn't win. My good friend Autumn Getty won, and that was delightful. But if it if it doesn't happen again, I don't I don't need it. Uh, but certainly if it you know, like it, it would be like lightning striking twice, right? It, it <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a complicated, fraught uh, territory, Canadian poetry. There's lots of voices. Uh-huh. There's a lot of young people who are writing much, much better than I did uh, in my 20s who are coming up. And so those, you know, I feel like there's room for everybody.
0: And, and do you think, because we're speaking from different parts of the country, sure, yeah. that there is, a, there is a sort of Canadian poetry, uh, uh, a, a kind of Canadian poetry that's emerged over the years?
1: Well, it's true. You know, we've seen uh, in the 2000s, you know, the rise of sort of the narrative lyric poem, uh, and then there was sort of, uh, uh, you went out of Montreal especially there was a new formalist uh, movement, and those two uh, um, those two different trends really butted heads, uh, you know, at least critically. Uh, a lot of critics were bringing that up. Uh, but now, you know, I feel like the doors have been blown wide open. It's no longer this sort of narrative versus formalist uh, uh, binary anymore. That is, you know, I think a lot of, Canadian poets are reading each other, um, but they're also reading much more deeply and wider. They're reading the Americans, they're reading the Brits, and I think that's all good. I think what I'm most concerned about is if young Canadian writers, Canadian poets in particular, are only reading each other, uh, that their poetry is not going to grow. It's going to become very insular, you know, uh, uh, very uh, parochial and I think, uh, you know, that, that worries me. But I'm not really seeing that. I'm seeing a lot of young writers, young poets coming up who are reading widely, reading deeply, and are writing much, much better than I certainly did in my late 20s.
0: Is writing for a general audience a concern of yours?
1: Yeah, I think so. I like to be accessible, you know. I, I used to really want to be of. I think my third book is that real poet's poet's book. Okay? like I think you can read my third book winter cranes uh-huh. and enjoy it and then I think if you're a poet you'll notice that you know I write in syllabics in a good portion of that book where you know I'm writing a seven syllable line or a ten syllable line in many many of those poems and so there's something there for poets uh, but now I'm, I'm writing you know less intentionally a little more improvised a little more surreal a little bit more and I'm hoping yet, like, someone who doesn't really like poetry would, would open up my book. I think the cover is fantastic, and it really draws people to open up the book. And I hope they find, uh, you know, a poem in the book that they like, and that'll put a smile on their face. That's certainly my great hope, anyways. Uh,
0: Anthony Hurd is the uh, artist who did the cover. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, it, it, w- when you... Um, uh, consider the poems in deep fake serenade yeah. as um, I'm sure readers uh, will as they read the book I mean I, I certainly found them of the, the time, of the era yeah. um, is is that something that, that um, when you look back at it you can sort of see that as well
1: well that's the thing, we're living in a very fast paced frenetic society where we want things very quickly, whether it's you know like YouTube videos or you know the Rapid uh, COVID test, or you know, uh, take out uh, uh, from the pushing buttons on her smart smartphone. So yeah, I wanted to, to write a, a little bit of that sort of quick energy into into the poem, and I really want the poem to speak about the world that we live in. You know, I think before I was trying to capture the past, certainly in the book like Bonfire, it's my first book. Mm-hmm. I was really trying to capture the landscape of my childhood or my teen years, in particular. But now I'm much more interested in what is happening now.
0: Chris, I've enjoyed the, the uh, reading Deep Fake Serenade a great deal, and uh, I so appreciate you taking the time to talk about it. Congratulations on the book and continue good luck with it.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking with you, Joe.
0: The book is called Deep Fake Serenade. It's published by Nightwood Editions. Uh, it's author Chris Banks. Join me on the line from Kitchener, Ontario, in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.